I'm never calling ourselves a startup. We were three people, and Omada was a digital health company. What needs to happen for an innovation ecosystem to flourish in a way that wasn't there before? Could it be done more effectively or efficiently? Like, look anywhere besides you yeah. know, the U.S. and you find ways that one could. Let's just pretend I was a hired gun CEO brought in today. What would I be doing differently? Day one, great, just joined Omada, I'm the CEO. What would be the next play? There's a reason that artificial intelligence is a buzzword and yeah. artificial empathy is not. Digital health has undergone a remarkable transformation over the past decade, evolving from simple health tracking applications to an interconnected ecosystem of solutions that are totally redefining the way we prevent, treat, and manage medical conditions. And today's guest has actually witnessed this entire shift. Sean Duffy co-founded Omada Health in 2011 with the mission to enable people everywhere to live free of chronic disease. Over the last decade, Sean has actually grown Omada from zero to one million patients, giving him a front row seat into the evolution of the digital health industry. So in today's episode, Sean sits down with A16Z Bio and Health founding partner, Vijay Pandey, for the inaugural episode of Phrasing Health, formerly known as BioWeeds World. Sean and Vijay discuss the building and growth of Amata, how AI is changing the digital health landscape, and what the future of the industry will look like as Amata plans to scale from 1 to 100 million patients. And if you do like this episode, don't forget to go check out our sister podcast, Raising Health, that again, just relaunched and has some pretty incredible episodes on the docket. In the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome. You know us as BioEats World, a podcast at the intersection of bio, healthcare, and tech. But today we're evolving to bring you Raising Health. Raising Health is a show for and about the builders who are leading the companies behind the bio and health innovations. In each episode, we'll continue to engage with industry leaders such as Nobel laureate Jennifer Doudna, esteemed clinician Carl June, AI pioneer Daphne Kohler, and many more. Today's episode is with Sean Duffy. I'm Olivia. And I'm Chris. Sean is the co-founder and CEO of Omada Health. He is joined by Vijay Pandey, founding partner of A16Z Bio and Health. Sean and Vijay celebrated the milestone of Omada achieving 1 million members and looked back to how digital health has evolved since Sean first started raising capital for Omada more than 10 years ago. To be honest, I mean, the last 10 years has been, um, you know, that scene from Apollo 13 with like the square CO2 cartridge and round hole where you just try to like somehow pull it off with the parts on the ship before your, you know, your oxygen depletes, which is your bank account, uh, you know, in startup language. Maybe because he spent so many years in the wilderness of early digital health, Sean is an optimist about the future of AI. He shared how Amada is leveraging AI today and how the company is shaping its caregiving strategy accordingly. There's a reason that artificial intelligence is a buzzword and yeah. artificial empathy is not. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't think there is any substitute, substitute for just the, the human accountability. And in fact, I actually think that maybe in this era of AI, it may be actually come more valuable. Human time, handcrafted goods, like proper human caregivers, that may feel more valuable. So in the same vein, you can leverage not just them, but tee up an augmented support mm -hmm. through these models in a way that I think just will transform outcomes and, and you know, impact, the, impact the world. You're listening to Raising Health from A16Z Bio and Health. Welcome to Raising Health. The news for 2024 is that BioEats World is getting an upgrade. We're rebranding as Raising Health. 
And as our very first guest on Raising Health, it's my pleasure to welcome Sean Duffy, uh, CEO and co-founder of Mata Health. So, Sean, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, Vijay, thank you. And thanks for, uh, thanks for allowing me to be the first. What an honor. This starts with actually that um, email that you sent me, or I think it was actually maybe even a tweet that I saw, that Amada hit a million patients. That's right. And, and so that was a huge deal. And I think that made us very sentimental about like all the whole path that you've been through and the path that we've been through together. Uh, oh, for sure. No, I mean, a million, uh, you know, we're, we're really proud of it. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the team. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a lot of people. It's a big impact. And I think if you pull up, uh, I think it is a statement on where digital health has come from uh, and that it's possible. Admittedly, I feel two ways about it. I think the, the positives are, my gosh, it took, you know, so many years of toil to even get to the couple of thousand. But then if you compare the million to the task at hand, of actually impacting epidemiology and, and really, you know, doing what we need to do for the business. Um, we haven't really, really made a dent yet. Kind of told our teams, let's celebrate for 30 seconds and let's go try to get it to 10, 20, 50 uh, and beyond. Well, that you make a great point because a million is hitting scale, but uh, in principle, you could get to tens, hundreds of millions and even beyond. How do you view the next steps? Well, how do you get to that type of scale? Uh, well, well, I think you're at a million, you're on strong foundations. As long as, as long as you're serving your members well and you're serving your customers well, it does become slightly easier because we're in a new state in digital health where it's a little bit more accepted. There's a little bit more trust. We now have, you know, published trials, you know, data, et cetera. So we're, uh, we're staying hungry as possible. And I think it, it just shows that the, the space uh, though has progressed a lot. It's still relatively nascent relative to having a, you know, the impact that it can and, and will. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, Actually, I'd love to take us back to the beginning. Sure. So to set the stage, I guess it's 2011, right? That's right. Uh, yep. Yep. And, and when you started Omada, obviously there were zero patients then. You know, what did that zero to one part of the startup uh, look like? What, what was that like? Yeah, so first just, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm here in the, you know, in recent offices speaking with someone who probably is in the, in the same camp, but I've always been pulled between technology uh, and, and science uh, and healthcare. And um, originally I thought I had to choose. I had to pick, okay, tel tech or healthcare. Um, so after undergrad, um, even though I did my pre-med recs, I worked at Google for a couple of years. I went off to medical school. I was enrolled in Harvard's MD, MBA. You know, through that came up with the idea for Amada. And really the, the key reflection was, you know, a statement of where the market was at at the time. I'd be with my tech friends from Google and I'm like, oh my gosh, these like Fitbits, they're going to change healthcare. My medical school classmates were like, well, where are the level one evidence? What diseases are you targeting? And so the idea for Amada was to build a convergence company. One that didn't didn't sacrifice on technology and you know design, um, but tried to you know do so in such a way where it earned earned the trust of the existing you know healthcare market. So that that led to the business and, and zero to one. Um, it was a it was a journey. I mean, we were we were a little ahead of our times. I think we um when we founded the company, um, the world kind of didn't know what to do with us. So yeah, tell us more. Like they. You were a tech company, but you were also a healthcare company. Yeah, no, and I mean, it's in the, in the early days of Omada, as a, for instance, you'd, you'd say hi to, you know, a health plan and say, I want to contract as a provider. And like, okay, great. Well, where are your clinics? Like, we don't have any. Like, excuse me, where where are your clinics? <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. We're a provider. We don't have offices. They're like, well, you can't contract with our network team. <laughs> it's like a hotel chain without hotels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so uh, to be honest, I mean, the last 10 years has been, um, you know, that scene from Apollo 13 with mm. like the square CO2 cartridge and mm. round hole where you just try to like somehow pull it off with the parts on the ship before your, you know, your oxygen depletes, which is your bank account, uh, you know, in startup language. Yeah, well, and I made that analogy to the hotel company without hotels. Yes. In a sense, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, which is Airbnb, and then there's, yes, you know, totally. fleets without cars and so on. Uh, yep, yep. So it, it makes sense in that zero to one time, there was probably some surprises. I don't know if there's any known surprises 
makes sense to account. I quickly realized how hard it was to sell into enterprise healthcare. Though it was a surprise to me, now it's not a surprise at all, and I'll kind of relay that to any tech founder. It's like the the key thing was that it was not sexy to be a startup. This was this was kind of a moment in time where you know it's like oh my gosh, Zeitgeist was that twenty something founder that goes off and builds like a ten billion dollar company, and you'd be with these health plans. I'm like. I've never called ourselves a startup. We were three people and Omada was a digital health company. Right. You had to quickly try to, you know, frame yourself as a, you know, a measured, thoughtful business in order to have, uh, you know, success. When you were raising, you were raising probably from tech VCs primarily. And now there are examples of tech bio VCs or, or uh, health tech VCs that mm-hmm. are sort of doing both. Um, and actually, you know, it's worth noting that actually um, uh, A6Z's investment in Omada predates yep. yeah. the bottom fund <laughs> itself. How has the sort of uh, investor landscape changed for you? It, I mean, it's not it's night and day different. Yeah, we were we were the first major healthcare investment from Andreessen, but there were very few conversions funds. And you'd be on the you know in the healthcare kind of fund track, and they're like, well, excuse me, like where specifically is your monopolistic IP? And and it's going to be just so easy for any health plan to build software. Mm-hmm. Right. It's software, you just- Because that's, that's what they're known for, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and then, on you know, you go to the tech side and they're like, how about that budget item for that, you know, million dollar peer reviewed study and the RCT you're thinking about running? I don't think we need that. Right. And so, there, you know, and, and um, you'd work to kind of, you know, explain and- And I think that was very much sort of in our mind for launching the BioFund, you know, which came after- investment model that realizing that you were a tech company and there are other tech companies that happen to be in life sciences or in healthcare, yep. but were being built like tech companies. And that was the opportunity. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so any other changes that you've seen to the space? I mean, digital health, I mean, you're very much a pioneer of digital health. That's probably changed over this decade as well. Yeah. I mean, well, so we talked about the investment landscape, I think, uh, you know, equally you've seen drastic differences in both the go-to-market you know, landscape and the talent, the talent landscape. Yeah, we should take each in turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the go-to-market, it's very different. I think there are like more plays. There's still there's still kind of things to be learned. I think if you use Omada as an example, we started targeting self-insured employers that can turn into business with plans. And there's a little bit of emotion now that mm-hmm. is slightly more codified. Now, now, albeit it's still very, you know, difficult, very capital intensive, but it's more of a known thing. And there's been examples Well, so what makes it difficult? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stakeholders. The buying cycles are really long. You're dealing with not just, you know, HR leaders, but consultants and their plans and their channels. And, you know, it's a very multi-stakeholder sales process Mm -hmm. and and still a risk-inverse environment. But but there's a little bit of like a known way to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when Omada, uh, you know, founded, that was far less so. I mean, you'd seen Castlight work towards selling into employers, um, but a little bit not the way that Omada was doing it. Mm -hmm. We figured out a way to build through claims. We took our trials to the American Medical Association, got them to issue the first ever digital specific CPT code, just literally for building infrastructure. Now there's many startups that have figured out on the back of that, mm-hmm. you know, how to build through claims and contract, you know, as a provider, like we, we talked about before. So um, the, the, the world has evolved. And I, if I could make one statement that I think is the Please. most, yeah, the most beneficial relative to the go-to-market is buyers better know how to buy. So how do you make that happen? Well, it's, I mean, it's coming as like a mana that you're like, well, and I remember in the early days, you know, you'd be talking to the network teams and you're like, you know, I'm imagining a world where there's actually specific individuals on the network team focused on your digital provider network. Wow. And you just kind of paint this future that could be, but that's not there yet. And then, and then you, you just kind of work your way to it. 
and, and a bit of his learning together with your partners. Like, how do you implement, you know, what are the claim systems? And then the next one that comes in the door, they're like, oh, we've kind of done this before. <laughs> and, you know, I remember one experience, it was, a, it was a health plan, well, related to health plans. So I get a call from a, a CEO of another digital health company. She's like, hey, I just want to take five minutes to thank you. I'm like, well, why? And he's like, I, I just, we just did this deal with the health plan, kind of named it. And uh, they sent over the papers, the contract, and they just forgot to take Konamata's name out of it all. <laughs> and I was like, how long did that take you to close? He's like, you know, three months. I was like, well, that took us a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. And what that means is, all right, there are there are plenty of ambitious, digitally forward people in enterprise healthcare, but like there's also like laid down processes and infrastructure and ways of buying. Mm-hmm. Um, that are pretty solidified. So it takes a little bit of time to like chip at it, morph it, you know, heat it up, make it a little bit malleable, and then and then kind of lay new foundations on how to just ingest things like Omada. Yeah, once you've retempered that steel. Yeah, that's that's correct, analogy, exactly, then yeah, that's it's, right. It's, is ready to go. And then mention something on the talent side too. This changes from everything to current state to kind of the feeder, the feeder world. And I remember in medical school, it was kind of like me and like two other people in my med school class mm-hmm. who had an entrepreneurial bent. Um, you know, there yeah, was about two, <clears throat> out of what, out of like hundreds, yeah, like 250. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I restarted the Harvard medical school, like entrepreneurship society. It died. It had died. <laughs> <laughs> it existed. Yes. There was only a society of three and then yes. and it withered on a vine and, and yes. like, you know, had to give it CPR and get that thing back going. And, uh, and now I think that's different. It's like, you know, today's cursive is JavaScript. There's just more uh, tech fluidity coming out of the, uh, you know, I think the life sciences. Yeah which speaks to more talent that can appreciate both worlds, which speaks to cultures that can pull the best of both worlds together, which speaks to it just being easier to build a convergence business. Yeah, I'd love to see this. I don't know if a graph of time uh, and the fraction of med school students who have taken a CS course. Yeah, no, no you're and, and right. it probably is just like growing uh, dramatically. It's growing dramatically. Well, it's key because like if you really weren't sort of sophisticated on the tech side, you wouldn't be able to handle that side of it. It seems like at least a part of the problem early on was there were just so few people that were conversant yep. in both. And it's and it's funny. It's both like a, a vision issue that's super important, but it's also like a hiring issue. Because yeah. you, you need, you know, at the end of the day, like you need to be able to pull in incredible skill sets in your organization. And if, if the language you're using like doesn't communicate that you understand the skills that that person is bringing to bear... And you can't just like over a beer, like riff on a specific thing in their world. They're not going to join. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why the legacy health services companies have had trouble, you know, hiring talent. They'll, they'll put out a role for like, you know, IT engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and it's <laughs> your, in, in the language and just the appreciation of the skill sets like matters. And it's hard to get that if you don't, if you're, if you're yeah. not fluent. And the top talent are not going to want to. They're not going to do it. They're yeah. not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. Not gonna, and the same, you know, the same as on the healthcare side. Like if you're, I mean, if you're just an amazing tech company, you're trying to hire great healthcare talent, they're like, well, they don't know. Yes. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> well, how's it gone now? Like, how's it hiring uh, sort of the latest crop, like on the MLAI side? Um, well, you know, so much easier because it's I mean, specific to that. What's neat is we have just an awesome data corpus. At the end of the day, like, you know, these models are more or less commodities. It's what feeds them. So that's important. And um, Omada has operated against our users' preferences, which is asynchronous messaging, large part. So, you know, about 25 million messages that have flown back and forth between our care teams and our members, maybe the, the richest, you know, data, asynchronous text, yes. data corpus in metabolic care. And, you know, LLMs are kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. No, they came it, at a nice time it, for it's us. It's a candy store for <laughs> any kid would love. That's right. So so that that talent side is fine. Um, but the the neat thing relative to the, the last kind of couple minutes of conversation is now there's a crop of folks that have worked in 
tech and healthcare. Maybe we're at a startup that tried to do both, but you know didn't work out, or maybe they're you know a, a company that has scaled and they want to you know do something different. So there are um, there's there's just actually a richer you know, crop of talent to pull from. It's no longer, you know, everyone trying to steal from Amada yeah. <laughs> for people that are experienced <laughs> with both. It's kind of a, a yeah. broader set, which is, which is great. I think it's a, it's a, it's an amazing thing. Oh, it's a real ecosystem. Well, so 10 years uh, changes all of us. How have you changed? Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was extremely green when I founded Amada. I was, um, I was in an MD MBA program, but hadn't done any of the business side and I had never hired anybody. I didn't have any managerial experience. I, um, I didn't know what a venture capitalist was. You know, my goal has always been uh, each year, I want to look back at last year, Sean, and just feel a little bit embarrassed. Wow. Oh, that's a really unique way to frame it. But embarrassed, is that being hard on yourself? I think it's it's purposely you know hard because it's like, it's the truth. So I think I have been a l just a little bit embarrassed about every every preceding Sean. So the Sean now is very, very different than the the vintage the vintage 2011 <laughs> Sean. And I mean, you, you, you know, you've been on the board a number of years. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, you've yeah. seen it too. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, now when I think about it after you said that, the thing that most people get embarrassed about is like when you watch yourself on video or when you listen to yourself, it's actually the fact it's getting embarrassed is not unusual. It's the fact that you're willing to, to look at that and look at it in its face. I think that is really takes bravery and is most people don't do that. I think a way to think through it, a way that I think through it is, is to think through decisions or mistakes. Like would, would, would that have happened with today's you know, Sean, that misstep that we made would today, Sean, have, you know, fallen into that trap. And I think and it's a good, it's, I think it's a good mindset. And I think similarly, um, you know, I was always, always encourage entrepreneurs to like, especially founders, um, try to purposely decouple yourself from the founder mind and the CEO mind. Okay, how would you d differentiate those two? In fact, sometimes I, I purposely ask, like, let's just pretend I was a hired gun CEO brought in today. Like, what would I be doing differently? Hmm. Day one, great. Just joined Omada. I'm the CEO. Like, what what would be the next play? And then and then you can similarly ask, what do you think the the organization needs from its CEO, like next year, yeah, and beyond? And then that that like becomes your L and D plan. And also, organizations need sometimes things from their founders too, which are unique from what they need from their CEOs, presumably. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, you could reverse yeah. it too. You could reverse it too. And there have there have been things. I mean, you, you know, as the org grows, you have to even as a founder, especially learn how to like work with your organization because your teams, you know, you have so many bright people and they need to like find the energy around a direction and so you have to set the strategy. Uh, but you know, there are, there are certain things that, uh, you know, I think is very helpful with kind of founder orientation. Like you, you almost, um, that optimism doesn't always tend to like carry forward with scale. And if there's yeah. like new things in the market, like for us, this whole GLP one landscape or even the, you know, the generative AI landscape, those new things, like I view it as my job to like just press the organization into, into seizing those. Yeah, to really sort of almost get, keep that spirit that you had when you were like 10 people or 30 people, uh, but now to do that at scale. You do it at scale, exactly. Yeah. Any advice you'd give to Sean, to, to one of them, Sean? <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. I mean, all sorts of tactical stuff. Yeah, yeah. My, my number one advice to, not just healthcare entrepreneurs, yeah. but on the enterprise side, is put a ton of thought in how you price Mm. and package kind yes. of what, what you've, what you're buying. That has just so much path dependency. Yeah. And that sounds like a, a detail, but that's like the core future of your business in a sense. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's, it's never the strategic stuff that tends to matter as much as the tactical things. Yeah. yeah. And some of them you can read about and others like it, you know, it is a little on the job training. Well, especially if you're creating a field, then there probably wasn't on the job training for digital health. Yeah. Yeah. It was, so, it was newer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, okay, so let's let's take us to today. So, and and actually, you brought up two great topics. I yep. want to hit AI and GLPs. Yep. Let's start with the AI side. So, you already mentioned that Amada has this huge corpus 
Um, you know, what's your take for how AI is going to change Omada? Where do you go with that? Where do you go from here? Yeah, I mean, the whole team and the engineering team is just giddy with it. And there's yesterday's like AI, which we've been doing, you know, build models and ML models and, yeah. you know, recommend resources. Almost like small uh, ML, small AI yeah. versus a large foundation model. Yeah, exactly. Versus versus kind of the generative side. I mean, there's hundreds of ideas on how to best leverage our data. So we're still learning and you know, and, and growing, but to give you just some specific examples right now, the, um, you know, one thing we launched, uh, is the ability for our care teams to just see instantly summarized mm. views of eating history of their members. So what we found is like, if they wanted to talk about food, we had a very beautifully structured like view where they could scroll through the meal patterns, looking at the eating patterns, but they were spending about six minutes, uh, getting the context to be able to craft a message. Mm-hmm. And so one quick hit was have the model do that. And then they can take that and craft it and craft a note to the member that allows them to just feel more insightful, more precise, and likely more impactful and more efficient. It's like everybody wins in that and world. And maybe even more empathetic sometimes. And more, yeah, <laughs> a- absolutely, yeah. more empathetic. Yeah. There's like step one for Amada, which is, all right, of these 100 ideas, what are the ones where you have high impact, um, you know, low regulatory risk? Because there are mm-hmm. considerations that you need to think through here we're trying to strike that balance of ensuring that, um, you know, at the end of the day, like we, people feel the compassion of the Omadas, yeah. you know, services as well as the intelligence where, you know, you, you, you've got to have the humanness shine through. And so for us right now, we built our care team platform homegrown by scratch. So it's about helping to enable our care teams to be authentic humans, to come across that way, do it more efficiently and per your point in, you know, many instances with a little tee up, perhaps yeah. more empathetically. Well, it's really interesting because you sort of alluded to the history of uh, virtual-based care where not having brick and mortar mm-hmm. was like kind of crazy, yep. right? Yep. And now that's actually, especially post-COVID, it's actually yep. been quite routine. Actually, many of us prefer it to some degree. Yeah. It has its own conveniences and so on. Yep. Now you're almost like a different type of virtual because now you're even like the caregivers themselves. <laughs> it can be, yeah, it's totally true. <laughs> are, are virtualized. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, how far does that go? Does it... Are you always yeah. going to have caregivers and you're just massively scaling them? Take us five years into the future, like maybe even 10 yeah. years in the future. Like how far does this go? I mean, it's going to be balanced. I think the, you, you know, you'll remember in, in peak COVID, it was like virtual care will do everything. And yes. I, I literally, I felt like the crazy one being like, guys, like biopsies still need to be done. <laughs> Surgeries. <laughs> Moles need to be removed. So it's, yeah, um, yeah, and it'll yeah. be the same, the same truth here. I, I do, um, there's a reason that artificial intelligence is a buzzword and yeah. artificial empathy is not. Yeah. Um, and I and I don't think there is any substitute substitute for just the the human accountability. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, I actually think that maybe in this era of AI, it maybe actually come more valuable, like human time, you know, handcrafted goods, like you know, p- proper human caregivers that may feel more valuable. So in the same vein, you can leverage not just them, but tee up an augmented support. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, through these models in a way that I think just will transform outcomes and, and you know, impact the, impact the world. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've talked about scaling and we're talking about the million members. Uh, maybe yep. this is how you get there. Yeah. Get, yeah. Get it, beyond it, there. it helps. Yeah. yeah no yeah. question. So it's such a crazy time because we've got AI yep. like yeah. doing this insane thing. And then generally unrelated to AI, but very related to our <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. is, is like, GLP-1s, yeah. you know, like how does that play into what you're doing in Amada? Yeah, I mean, kind of, I just feel giddy with what's happening here because you've got this two parallel tracks, like just extraordinary technology innovation, extraordinary life sciences innovation, like two different silos. And I mean, similar to like the fact that your convergence investor, Amada is a convergence company, they just hit each other. Yeah. Like right now, you know, right at the moment. And, and I think they're both, 
you know, really have knocked on the doors, uh, you know, of, of Omada as a skilled provider that, you know, has not only the data for the generative AI side, but also just enough scale to, and enough clinical credibility to capture the opportunity in GLP ones. And, um, you know, the way I look at them is incredible. I mean, incredible breakthrough, like, you know, humanity, we should, we should pat ourselves on the back that these exist. Yes. Um, you know, in, in large part, uh, since they, especially since the, the data has borne out in type two diabetes, I think they'll, you know, generally considered a very safe medicine and hopefully that continues to, to be the viewpoint. The challenge is GLPs are great at, at quantity. What, what do you mean quantity? A uh, quantity of food. So it, you can and, and will lose weight on a GLP without changing anything about the, the, the quality of your calories because it will reduce the quantity. Right. So you just will lose appetite. That's right. You'll lose appetite. So you're, you know, you're, you're dropping your caloric intake, but eating exactly the same foods. The, the challenge with that is most patients uh, tend to not want to be on these medicines for life, even though, you know, I mean, you will find the KOLs that are, you know, argue that that's the right clinical point of view right now that's counter to the patient preference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then the cost profile is making that for, for the employers that are covering GLPs for obesity, uh, you know, a challenge as well. There are very few that, you know, are thinking, well, shoot, I'll cover this for life. So yep. you have this issue where, okay, you've got quantity. Well, what does the quality? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where Omada thinks we can really differentiate. Um, if GLPs are quantity, right. Omada's quality, because you can use these as almost a behavioral catalyst, mm -hmm. help reframe uh, someone's psychology around, hey, I can lose weight, this is amazing. And then on that, you're like, well, what are your goals relative to the medicines? Let's do it in a healthy way. Exactly. Well, yeah. let's take advantage of this therapeutic window. Yeah. Like, let's figure out some new meals that you can just start to incorporate. Great, you're losing weight. What are some new activities that you could do now you know, uh, that you couldn't do otherwise. Um, and then Omada can address some of the clinical, you know, complexities here. I mean, I think that the next issue that is already starting to bubble up is sarcopenia. Mm. I mean, you're, you know, because what's happening with these meds, you'll, you'll lose fat and muscle mass. If you do regain, you're going to regain only fat. So there's, there's all these complex body comp questions that are going to require new, like, you know, physical activity protocols on top and recommendations and diet and intake to make sure that you're addressing this this kind of truth about weight loss generally, not specific to the GLP Yeah, especially ones. if your body muscle mass goes down, then your basal met metabolic rate goes down. It makes and, it it makes it more likely you're regain. You'll feel hungry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and if you're only eating, I don't know, was it 1,500 calories, 1,000 calories with these things? Uh, yeah, Whatever small number it is. There, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, then every calorie counts, right? Uh, exactly. You know, I mean, Omada's made some decisions that we're happy about. Uh, you know, the, the first is to launch this like GLP-1 care track. Yeah. You know, we've chosen to not initiate people on the medicines, but just, you know, support them regardless of where the script came from. Yeah. So when we work with our partners who are covering GLPs from obesity, for obesity, it create kind of a little bit of an all roads lead to Amada mm -hmm. strategy. Mm -hmm. We're like, look for, for these to be covered. We want to make sure that you have the lifestyle support alongside. Given all this that's going on, where do you think this gets us to? Like, what does uh, digital health look like, you know, five, 10 years from now? Well, yeah, I mean, for Amada, I hope these innovations uh, help us do what, you know, what would always has kind of been the most important, which is to have tomorrow's you know, epidemiologists notice like bend and disease curve and have us be a part in that. It's been this weird, weird kind of thing where I feel like every couple of years you see this like report on, you know, diabetes measures, et cetera. And you're like, wow, the nation's gone nowhere. Was well, that really true? Have we really gone nowhere or have we gone worse than nowhere? Uh, it's fun. <laughs> I, in fact, anything has gone the wrong, you know, yeah, a worse yeah. direction. You yeah, look at, yeah. We're on a poor trajectory as a country mm -hmm. to say the least. So, uh, you know, I think these innovations help us hit, you know, hit a level of scale that matters. And um, this is the most acute labor crisis we've ever had in the U.S. Mm -hmm. You, yeah, on the provider side. On the provider side. You yeah. talk to you talk to the average provider and, and the C-suite, you're like, well, what are your challenges? They list, you know, 10. One through eight are labor. 
you know, we don't have enough practitioners. Right. So not enough doctors and not enough nurses. Yeah. Not, and, and I mean, you're not gonna, we're not going to have 200,000, you know, primary care clinicians like show up on a tanker. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. so that, what, what does that mean? Yeah. A, like even outside of what we do, you have to find technologies that give more leverage to every credential, like inter LLMs, you know, B, what you need is to provide care differently. Like there is no way that a decade from now, the primary care clinician is going to be point on something like longitudinal diabetes care. So Omada can come in as a between visit care provider, as an adjunct to primary care and a partner and make it such that really what you need to do is route the person to us and we'll handle that between visit care and, and take that off your plate, which, which I think is going to be required. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that scaling goes from an aspiration almost to an obligation. There is a silver lining. I mean, this is, this is just an extraordinary crisis, uh, you know, of labor. What, what is happening is the everyday provider recognizes that there's not, you know, there's not a solvent. And, and I mean, you've had providers that like literally have, they're like, well, shoot, we've tried almost everything. They've bought nursing schools. Right. Right. Like, remember, yeah. <laughs> yeah, gobbled up nursing schools to try to, you know, build, but, but, um, there's nothing that's going to be enough. So it's like, we have to deliver care differently. Right. What does that look like? Who do right. we work with to do it? So the, the shortage is one thing. Then the other sort of crisis that we all know about is cost. Yeah. So yeah. presumably this plays into that as well. Oh yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. And oh my gosh, if we just kept the percent of our GDP spent on healthcare constant, mm -hmm. but just use the dollars better. Like we've got an embarrassment of, of riches to put forward, yeah. you know, to, to the country here relative to the, the, it's not like, oh, could it be done more effectively or efficiently? Like look anywhere besides, the, yeah. you know, the U S and you find, yeah. you find ways that you, that one could. So, but, but you kind of need a rock thrown into the lake yeah. and, and there are enough like pressure points there that I do think that the silver lining will be, it's, it's, it's kind of hit the fulcrum where it's reinventing the system. Let's paint the picture. So like you're dealing with something which is one of the biggest crises for America, like prediabetes, type two diabetes, um, weight, and, and it's comorbidities, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, hypertension, all musculoskeletal, all the comorbidities. So that's, the problem is very clear. And then on top of that, you have the provider problem and the cost problem. Yep. You put in AI and GLPs, it's almost like this wonderful, almost deus ex machina, like to the rescue. And, and no technology to the rescue. It's yeah, I literally, yeah. I'm like, in absence of that, plus like, you know, the model layers to tie the room together. Yeah. What happens? It's, you know what I mean? It's like. Well, well but then, so yeah. then what keeps us from the future we're describing? Like what's in our way? I think it's coming. I, I genuinely do. I feel more optimistic, you know, than ever. In general, I don't think there's an overnight success. I think that's especially true yeah. in, in healthcare and building a healthcare business, but I, I think it's coming. I mean, I. Well, what do you think about regulations in this space? I mean, that's one of the reasons why it takes a little bit longer. But especially, let's say, additional regulations for AI. Do you, do you see a role for that? Or? Oh, oh uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think in the, right now, the, the, the general basis on how to use generative AI says, like, look, guide a licensed practitioner. So, you, you know, we're at that world where you self-driving is analogy, like it's driver assisted, like you can turn it on, we got to touch the wheel. Well, and there's already Dr. Google in play. You know, it, yeah. and so this is amplifying that, but it's still a practitioner's in play. Yeah, exactly. And practitioners and so, have regulatory uh, bodies that govern their their work and so on. I think there there will be ways to you know create kind of targeted you know regulatory like pathways for hyper specific things that have low patient risk. Um, and no, I think no other obstacles. It feels like it, it, the way you're talking. It feels like it's inevitable. I mean, I do, I actually do, you know, I do think it's never, again, I mean, it speaks to the three things that have changed. What, what needs to happen for an innovation ecosystem to flourish, flourish in a way that wasn't, wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. You need, you need new capital partners. Mm -hmm. There's more folks that understand, you know, tech and healthcare. And there, and there, there's some proof points that you can make money here. I mean, you know, there, you need that right. to create kind of a healthy capital environment. And then secondly, 
you need like more go-to-market motion models that make it just a little bit easier for the next person. Right. Right. And that's, that's critical. And then, and then you need the people. Yeah. And so, you know, I think you've got, you've got the three of those, you know, you've got macro pressures that are requiring not, you know, innovation is not a, not a vitamin, it's a painkiller, right. you know, at this point. So, uh, I, I'm very optimistic. I, I, you know, again, I think we're still at the beginning. I think the next, you know, the next two decades are just going to be you know, extraordinary and we need to make it happen. Well, it's, it's amazing because not only have you co-founded a moderator, basically helped co-found this whole ecosystem, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what needed to be done. Very generous. Uh, and, and thank you for being a partner and Andreessen for being a partner along the way. Oh, no, so. it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Okay, so obviously you think a ton about healthcare. Like, what do you do? For um, so I have two kids. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. A gym called Lifetime opened up uh, near my home and I begged, I would have paid any price to sign up because they have childcare for two and a half hours. Oh, wow. It's a deal you can't refuse. Right? <laughs> yeah. Offer you, you can't so refuse. So we've been joking, I'm going to be the best yeah. shape of my life because, um, you know, I mean, you're busy as an entrepreneur yeah. and childcare right. is so precious and, and the kids love it. So yeah. we um we call it the Family Fun Center. Well, not, not, excellent. Not Lifetime Gym, but yes. we, um, yes. uh, yeah, I got a push notification from Lifetime that said like, congratulations on your, you know, your your 25th visit. Oh, wow. And I looked up how long it had been open. It was like 45 days. <laughs> That's excellent. Excellent. It's funny. I try to be like similar to Omada. Omada is pragmatic relative to you know, what fits into your world and yeah, what best kind of, you know, fits into your life. And, um, uh, you know, tend to not be overly zealous one way or the other, but just try to, you know, abide by the healthy uh, eating and food habits. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Raising Health. You, you got it. And thank you for uh, allowing me to be the, the first uh, guest on this new, new instantiation. Well, thank you. All right. Mark. Take care of your day. Thank you for listening to Raising Health. Raising Health is hosted and produced by me, Chris Tatiosian, and me, Olivia Webb, with the help of the bio and health team at A16Z. The show is edited by Phil Hegseth. If you want to suggest topics for future shows, you can reach us at raisinghealth at a16z.com. Finally, please rate and subscribe to our show. The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. Please note that A16Z and its affiliates may maintain investments in the companies discussed in this podcast. For more details, including a link to our investments, please see a16z.com slash disclosures. Hey, this is Steph again. Just as a reminder, if you did enjoy this episode from our sister podcast, Raising Health, there is a lot more where that came from. New episodes just like this drop every Tuesday with guests just like Sean or AI experts like Daphne Collar, Aviv Regev, and Andrew Ng. So go follow Raising Health wherever you get your podcasts.